Welcome to Bouncing Back, a podcast about conversations that transform lives. I'm Shamila, your host. Here on this podcast, we are excited to share with you some amazing stories of resilience. We celebrate the triumphs of people who have overcome life-changing adversity as a result of an accident or a diagnosis. Listening to their story will inspire you. We hope you will learn from their experience and go bouncing back to be your best. Sharing their story today, we have Brian and Robin from Melbourne. They are a brilliant husband and wife duo and were unfortunately involved in a motorbike accident in December 2018. Within a blink, their lives changed. Brian and Robin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Can you introduce yourselves? Tell us a little about what you do and what your life was like for you prior to the accident. I'm a bookkeeper and do bookkeeping for a company externally as well as doing bookkeeping for my husband in his business. And we were very, very busy all the time, <laughs> all the time. I have a daughter and, and a son, but daughter was living at home but had moved out. Uh, to go overseas and my son is living with his fiance somewhere. Our life was very busy beforehand and yeah, this was a big change. I'm Brian, as uh, Rob said, she does my books. I'm self-employed, I run a a travel business, clothing business. I supply uniforms and and sports material and all sorts of stuff for a variety of different businesses, including people like uh, Mitre 10. And I'm also an industrial trainer, so I'm a qualified workplace trainer and, and assessor. So prior to the accident, uh, yes, Rob's right. We were we were very busy people. I mentioned the travel business. It's not a normal travel business where you can get a ticket from here to Sydney. Mostly, I would fly people to the US, put them on Harley Davidsons, and take them on tour on things like Route 66, the Blues Highway, which is from New Orleans up to Chicago. Uh, the Sturges Motorcycle Rally, which uh, my tour starts in Las Vegas and does a great big loop down through a variety of states and Monument Valley and the Grand Canyon back into Vegas. So that's that's what I've been doing for, for 10 years. Up until October, which is when we got back from the last set of tours, which was a month before, a month or so before the, uh, the accident. So that was prior. So we were very busy people. And in amongst that, uh, you also loved caravanning trips. Very, very busy, active, fulfilling lives. Mm, mm. Yeah. And social, very social. Very social. Yeah. 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 Big circle of friends as Mm. well. So let's move on to the accident. Would you like to tell us about that? Rob's more qualified to tell you about the accident, but I'll do the preamble. One of the groups that we did a lot of the tours for, have you guys ever heard of, uh, or maybe you whoever's listening to this have, have heard of the Ulysses Motorcycle Club. It's the biggest motorcycle club in the world. And it's made up of just ordinary people who like motorcycles and like people and like travelling. That's the Ulysses Motorcycle Club. So we'd done tours for a group of their people. So on the day of the accident, we'd been invited to join them on one of their Saturday morning brunch rides. It's where a group of people get together, just go for a ride, ultimately end up at a cafe somewhere. In this particular case, it was in the Arrow Valley. And then we just join in and have a have a coffee break and brunch and just meet people and talk about uh, motorbikes, etc. That's what that day was about, the 1st of December last year, mm. over the year, Robbie. Yeah. And so we left, I think it was around 9 o'clock in the morning, and went took off to, to go round up through the hills of Wandon North, and we came up to a 
bend in the road beautiful view over this hill like up this hill and and round a bend and there was a beautiful view out there which I was looking at at the time and the motorbike wobbled and then it was like oh my god what's happening <laughs> well I knew what was happening I could feel straight away I was thrown off the bike and the the bike just started to go from under us I was thrown over and it sort of went one way and then over the other way and I ended up on the road and was looking you know back at Ryan on the road in a mess <laughs> and uh, and I knew that I'd broken my ankle and I didn't know it was dislocated but I knew it was broken because I was I crawled across to him and it was very painful but still adrenaline must have kicked in and yeah and he was not in a very good place we were very lucky because the people that were there with us like that were on the ride that were behind us you know they kicked in very very quickly and had ambulances and everything on the way but they also knew first aid as well he was struggling really struggling to breathe at the time and there was a lot of blood on the road a lot of blood consistent with his injuries that was to be expected so yeah these people all came around and all helped to keep his head lifted so that he could breathe properly and as I said he was struggling and obviously because he had very badly broken ribs that was very hard for him the ambulances came very quickly and everything started to happen around us at the time so it just amazingly it was just in an instant how things changed just it was like oh my god this is going to be such a big impact on our lives I knew it straight away and it had so that was the accident on the day Brian was actually taken off in the helicopter to Royal Melbourne Rob was taken to Maroondah and when they found out that the helicopter had taken me to Royal Melbourne, they then put her in another ambulance and took her to Royal Melbourne as well, mm. so that we mm. could be together, mm. which was good thinking. Mm. Do you remember any parts of the accident, Brian? I remember nothing of that day. Mm. Everything that I know about it is based on what Robbie's told me. And also, later on, when we inspected the damage to the motorbike, it's obvious how it happened. It's, it's gone over to the right and flipped Robbie off, then it's come back over on the, on the left, and it's landed on top of me, which has caused all the damage it did to me. Brian, do you want to talk us through a little bit about your injuries that you sustained? Yeah. The worst part about the helicopter, by the way, was that I didn't get to see any views. They took me to Royal Melbourne, and um, I was in a coma for 10 days in Royal Melbourne, and then I spent the rest of the month in Royal Melbourne, and I really only remember the last three or four days because of all the medication and all the stuff that was going on. In fact... Robin and our, and our family know more about me and what I did and said mm. than I do. I don't remember very much at all about most of December. And when I came out, which was near enough to Christmas Eve, the accident happened on the first of the month, we caught up with the family for, for a Christmas. Uh, and it was, it was a, actually a good opportunity for me to start coming back again, albeit I was in Naughty Land. I still didn't know a hell of a lot of things and I was very vague about a lot of things. And when I got home... And the TAC people started to come into the equation. That's when I found out most of what had gone wrong, as in injuries. Some of it we didn't find out to months later. 
So, uh, I had broken ribs front and rear, two collapsed lungs, tore the straps in my shoulder, fractured skull front and rear, 10 broken bones in my face, including a broken nose. You wouldn't know to look at me, would you? <laughs> uh, bleeding brain front and rear, uh, bleeding kidney. Kidneys, yeah. The other thing that surprised me was that in the uh, in the hospital, I, I, I got, um, what do they call it? Hospital, uh, hospital acquired pneumonia. So, uh, yeah, so they're the injuries that I got, and they're the injuries that I've been treated for for most of this year. I guess the main comment that I can make about all of that is I can see at the time when when TAC first got involved, I, I felt personally that I was ready to get back to my life. This is back in January and February. I wasn't. I was miles from it. I had no idea that the injuries were what they were or that they would take as long as they've taken to uh, to come good. My business has virtually been untouched for all of this year. A few things we've been able to do to maintain some of our clients. However, I'm totally optimistic about what I'm going to do in the future. I've probably got three to six months of rehab to come good down here on the on the uh, the ribs. Got a similar period, I think, ultimately with my shoulder. This is following uh, the 10 months you've already been in rehab. Correct. Mm-hmm. So yeah. another three to six months on top of that. At least, yeah. Yeah. With the shoulder, the they didn't actually diagnose the, the shoulder in Royal Melbourne because it just didn't present. And given that I was out for most of that month, I couldn't even tell them. So it was quite a while before we actually got anything done with the, the shoulder. So it was in April where I had to go to Cabrini Hospital and they operated on my shoulder. And then I was in a sling for three months after that and uh, at the conclusion of which the surgeon was able to say, okay, you can start doing rehab and and get back to normal. So I'm delighted to say that week by week I can do more with my right arm than I couldn't do the week before, including scratching the top of my head. Now, (laughs) as simple as something like that may seem, it's really a step for somebody who's gone through the things Mm. that I have. Robin, back to you. Did you want to just talk briefly about what that first month was like for you when Brian was in Royal Melbourne and in a coma and then not remembering anything? Yeah, it was was a really, really hard time in that month. I mean, I was lucky. I had my sister who came and camped out with us completely for probably two months, you know, left her husband behind and virtually came over and lived at our place. which was sensational. And I wouldn't have been able to do any of the things without her because basically after I'd had my operation, which I had done on the Monday, so I was in hospital for only four days. So I was traveling in and out to the Royal Melbourne every day to see Brian, basically. It was very wearing. I mean, apart from the fact that I had a a boot on and couldn't do things at all sort of thing, had to be showered and... (laughs) <laughs> all the rest of, all of needing that. help with yeah. all of that so as I said my sister was just you know oh she was an angel but going in and seeing Brian hooked up to all of those things was really really not nice <laughs> at all to see and he was out of it all the time because they had him on ketamine which is what they um, used to put them out and bring them back out mm-hmm. so which is the coma sort of thing and what they would do is they would bring him out of the coma by reducing that a little bit each time and so that they could 
apparently this is what they do is they reduce it so that they can see what his responses are how much pain he's in blah 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 and then they would um, put him back under again if he was in too much pain basically we would go in and they would reduce it a little bit and he would sort of wake a little um, but not really recognised. It was very difficult going in and seeing him like that and watching him not not be the person that he was miles out of it, you know. As the time went on that he was, you know, in the coma but coming out of the coma, he his responses were very um, pointed, a bit... A bit uh, he was a bit he was a bit aggressive at times, um, which apparently is quite normal. So yeah, he was you know not thoughtful or not anything you know, and and because you know like I was a little bit under the weather with all of it as well. It was like a case of oh my goodness, <laughs> you know what's going to happen here? This is awful. But he yeah he he just he had no idea of what was going on. There were some very funny stories of when he was coming out of these ketamine highs it was just funny things and you've got to look back at that as being funny in amongst all of it so we did get some laughs out of it but um yeah it wasn't you know it was very hard for all of us to sort of see you have to you have to look on on the funny side of those things because it's so it's so serious everything is so serious that it's like what's going to happen from here that when something funny happens it's like almost hysterical when you laugh about it because it's 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 a real breaker like a, it really breaks it for you and it's like brings it back to reality a bit well you know okay you know there's still funny things life can still be good with it it's a difficult time but yeah the humor and seeing that that there's possibilities that makes it that made it easier mm-hmm. along the way so let's have a little bit of a chat about the rehabilitation process what do you remember of those early days? And maybe talking a little bit more about the impact of the brain injury you had, Brian. Well, the early days, I didn't know what was about to happen. As in, when we got home, there were carers there. There was carers there every day. People who were, for example, if I wanted to walk, I could only walk if they were with me. There were rehab people. and There were just a lot of people in the house who were looking after me. That was strange for me because... You've got to remember, as I explained earlier, before the accident, I, I ran my life. I ran my business. I did things for everybody else, for all our clients, very busy, and loved it, by the way. Now I'm in the hands of other people. So all the decisions for me were made by other people, including Rob and, and her sister and and, uh, and everybody else. So I was, uh, I'll say control, but I don't mean it in a, in a negative sense. Everything was being organised by by other people, and I struggled with that. Struggled big time with it. Not because I I hadn't evaluated. Oh, hang on, I ruined my life before. Now other people are doing it. It's just a, it's the same as Rob said when I was in the hospital. I did funny things because that was me. That was just me having fun. So it's not me to want to be looked after by other people. I'm more than happy to look after myself and do my own thing. But I couldn't do that. And for the, really, for the last 10 months, that's how it's been. Every aspect, you were talking about the brain injury. Um, there were lots of consequences of that. The things like cognizance and uh, weariness and calculating things and even negotiating. Um, such as, I said very early in the piece that I'm ready to go back to work. I felt that I was. I did 
set felt that I was, but I wasn't. I was miles from it at, at that stage. But I really believed that I was. What was it, looking back now, that you've realised made you not ready to go back to work? The, the, the understanding of, for example, brain damage and then exercising your brain and that we're in a sort of the fatigue that it, that it creates. So, for example, if I got outside to do something over a full day that I would normally do, there's no way I could have done that because things kick in with, you know, within 10 minutes or half an hour. And so I just wouldn't have been able to keep going doing those things that and the other thing is identifying what I wanted to do as well I thought I did because I'm just used to running my own life but there were lots of things that I had to play catch up with involving business interaction with people one thing I want to say is that what was happening in those early days in January and February was that there was a a lot of people friends clients customers were coming to us and wishing us well you don't realise the impact that you've had on other people in your life, in your job, in your role, whatever it might be, whether it's sports, business or whatever, until something happens to you. Because the number of people have come back to me, and many of whom I would never have guessed, I just don't think about that stuff, who came back to me and to Robin wishing us all the best as a consequence of that accident. It was, and there's only one word I could describe how I felt as a result of that back then, and that was just humble. I just felt humble by the number of people who, who came to visit us and who sent us regards. It was really a, an amazing thing. I also just wanted to touch upon the fact that Robin, you mentioned when Brian was in hospital, he had become a little bit more aggressive as a result of the brain injury. Mm, yeah. um, can you uh, explain that a little bit more for us and how that sort of presented itself again when he first got home? Mm, because he was used to doing all the things himself was was the main thing he was used to being in control of his own life Mm. and because we had so many people coming through and everything all the time and he couldn't control it he couldn't do anything about it because he couldn't move he basically he he was sitting on a chair for most of the time because of his injuries he couldn't couldn't move a great deal so we had to medicate him we had to do all sorts of things with it and I think probably because of that, he became very snappy with, um, uh, with not he wasn't physically aggressive, but he was um, verbally aggressive, just in his responses to people and things. In particular, he was snappy with me. I'm his wife, so we get snappy before these things, before the accident. But but in particular, afterwards, he was a bit more aggressive and my sister noticed it um he at times was aggressive with her i noticed that there was a bit more of that and that was probably a little bit of impatience perhaps and because of the fact that he couldn't do things mm-hmm. it was noticeable that that there was verb much more verbally aggressive and i think that is definitely as a result of the brain injury yeah that makes it made it hard And I'm also just thinking back to the injury in relation to all those fractures of Mm. the bones in the face. Mm. Um, How did that impact upon day-to-day? Well, uh, in that first month, I have no idea. But when I came home uh, for the next, was it the next month or six weeks, we was only allowed to have liquid um, nourishment. Yeah. Um, So I wasn't allowed to chew or... Was that about six weeks or...? Uh, I think it ended up being eight weeks. Eight weeks. Yeah. So it was all, all liquid foods. And I just wasn't happy. I was not happy with mm. a lot of things, a lot of consequences. 
that, that influence. Yeah, let me say, Brian's always been a very well person. Like, he's never had any, ma- well, major, major things. And for the injuries that he had, that was probably frightening for him. You know, not knowing whether it was something really serious or not because he'd never had any major thing happening. And that would have contributed to his behaviour. So we're noticing that your behaviour's been affected, your ability to swallow and eat and drink. What about day-to-day, looking after yourself, pottering around the house, being able to go out? What was that like for you, Brian? There's only one word I think that I can use, and that's frustrating because everything had to be either supervised or was controlled or there were guidelines. This is, these are back in those early days. Mm. It, it was very frustrating for me. Even personal care, most, most things one way or another, I'm the sort of person, if something's got to be done, I'll find a way to do it. So with personal care, one way or another, I got things done, but I needed help with, with, with certain things. And just that is just not me. And so there were things that Robbie had to do and. And when we're in various medical places, nurses had to do, and I'm Can just you, not used to that sort of stuff. Could you give us one example? Uh, if, uh, let's say drying, drying myself with a towel. They're just places I couldn't reach. And uh, there was a time be- well before the accident where I would have no problems with Rob drying me with a towel. But, but <laughs> as a consequence of, the, of this... Not being, able to, not being able to do it himself. <laughs> it wasn't quite the same effect. <laughs> but, but even personal hygiene, um, th- obviously things were different, but I figured out ways to make it work uh, in terms of what I needed to do. Um, and Because I'm that kind of guy anyway, whatever... Whatever's got to be done, I'll figure out a way to get it done. So, yeah, it was just frustrating. It was just very frustrating, especially in the early days when if I wanted to just go outside, just go for a walk, I couldn't do that by myself. The carers were told that they had to come with me in case, you know, I fainted or whatever. Something happened, yeah. Something happened, yeah. Or you got lost, maybe. Yeah. Or got lost, yeah. yeah. Um, And even if somebody had said, said to me back then, we've got to come with you in case you get lost, I would have been very frustrated with that because... That's my neighbourhood. That's my backyard. I know where everything is. Mm. I thought. Mm. By the way, it never happened. We never had an incident. But um, but that's a that's a good example of what their role was, mm. and that's essentially how it was for me for for quite a few months, where there were people involved in pretty much everything. The fact that I was under that regime is just not me, and I struggle with it. Tell us a little bit more about your rehab team and how they helped you, Brian. Well, there were people for different components. For example, there was one guy whose job was to uh, manage my driving skills and the legality of what I'm allowed, whether I'm allowed to drive a motor car, and if I could, did I have to have a steering knob? Can I drive a motorbike? Can I drive? I've got a license where I can drive it legally, where I can drive anything. But that was all removed from me and I struggled with that because um, my argument always was well hang on I didn't break any rules but the people who the Vic Rhodes removed the ability or the legality for me to do things like riding a motorbike driving a truck or a bus or a car and I would often argue hang on I didn't do anything wrong why are you penalizing now I know it's because of they, they want to ensure that safety is maintained. So it's all about cognizance and, and understanding the rules and how quickly you respond to things. I know all of that. That's cool. 
and that's why it happened. Um, the person whose job was to work with me on that area was very good, very understanding, very patient, and uh, and guided me in the right direction. And uh, we're probably three quarter way back where that's concerned. Um, physio. The physio, yep. Mm. Um, she's she'll be with me for another six months at least. She knows her stuff. Uh, she calls a spade a spade, tells me what I'm supposed to be doing, tells me when I'm not doing the things I should be doing, and, and guides me down the right path. And uh, when I first came out of the hospital, I would have said, no, nope, don't need that, I know what the hell I'm doing. But I can tell you, all these months later, she was super valuable. People involved, for example, yourself, Shamila, with uh, with the, the brain side of things, uh, I always remember one of our early discussions where you invited me to read some material pertaining to brain damage, and I did, and I've retained a lot of that. And the learning curve was vertical. It, it, it made sense. A lot of things that were going on made a hell of a lot more sense by having that, that understanding. So the point is, um, the, the guidance and the recommendations and the references that were, were given to me to help me with all of this was indeed uh, uh, extremely valuable. Progressively, as it all unfolded, it didn't make sense to me. Because remember, my logic was, hey, I'm ready, I'm ready to go, what are we doing all this for? Uh, it was fairly early in the piece, the penny dropped that if I just sit in this chair and stay here, I'm just going to go brain dead. I, I, I'd stop learning, I'd stop, I could, sorry, stop learning, stop developing, stop. and I've always had an interest in things, simple as that. The learning curve is always vertical for me, and I have a huge interest in things like history and geography and and uh, politics and uh, references, I always have. And and the penny dropped that I need to maintain this because, for example, you hear about people who retire. The minute they stop doing all the things that they were doing, things like dementia sneaks in and the learning curve and things slow down. That was I, I was never ever going to let that happen to me. So I did a count the other day, the other day again, uh, Shamila. Um, between <laughs> January this year and today. I've bought around about 170 books <laughs> on all the subjects that I've just mentioned. Reference books on history and politics and war and cars and people and sociology and I, I just love that stuff. Um, and I read them. I read them every day. I read things. I, I might forget something, so I go back in there. Um, and with the people that have been working with me, I've quoted a lot of things that I've learned out of those books that, in fact, fit in with the discussions that we're having. A great way to keep your mind active Absolutely. and working hard. And I needed to do that. Given that your brain and your thinking skills had been Im- impacted a little bit by, by what had happened, particularly your memory in many instances. Mm, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the short-term memory, it was interesting it, uh, being a consequence of what, was, what had happened to me. Um, so with the, the books, I would often, something that I'd read, I would later on ask myself questions about. How much of it do I retain? Because that's where I was having trouble. I'd forget something. I know it would come back sooner or later. And by the way, the length of time it takes for it to come back is diminishing, and it, and it, it is improving. Um, but it might have taken 10, 20 minutes. And things that I've known all my life, I might tell you about a song, and then I think, okay, who's sang that? And I'd have to think, and I'd have to think. And it wouldn't come to me until maybe 20 minutes. Ah, yes. So as I said, the time that it takes for these solutions to present themselves is 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 diminishing robin i saw you smiling a fair bit whilst brian was talking about many different aspects of his rehabilitation experience there 
Um, do you want to share with us a little bit about your rehab experience and also maybe what you saw Brian going through, particularly with his memory and, mm. and his physical recovery as mm. well? Mm. His physical recovery, whilst it's been really, really good, like he, he's he's really come leaps and bounds apparently, like according to a lot of people they've said, you know, you've, you've done extremely well for the time. Um, considering that a lot of people haven't done with the same sort of injuries, haven't done as well. So he's he's come along a great deal with that. His memory, I found, his memory was a, an issue. At times he would forget things, forget that he'd said something or that he'd been told something and, and hadn't passed it on. And, and so there was like, no, I never knew about that one <laughs> because you didn't tell me. So there were there were times where um, it was a bit bit hard because of the, the his short term memory. But as he's gone, like he's improved a great deal. I can see that the improvement has been really good. In terms of me, I'll I'll just get on with it too. So it was a case of you know getting back to normal for me. And now, like as of now, um, I'm basically just got to do some physio and everything to get kept going but I'm sort of kind of I feel like I'm at the point where okay we're right from now on I can get back to normal now very positive for me so I'm I'm very happy about that because I can deal with anything once I'm right but um yeah it's taken a long time he's still got a little bit to go yeah he did struggle a great deal I think with it more more than what he's sort of saying he struggled a, a bit more than that yes he did a lot of reading and bought a lot of books, which have taken up a lot of room. <laughs> but <laughs> physically, he needed to do a little bit more, I think, to to help him recover a bit better with it. Um, he struggled claustrophobically, if there's such a word as that. But um, yeah, he struggled with that a great deal. What's been your biggest achievement in your rehab? His changed in terms of what's important to him I think um, it, prior to the accident as you know he was really really busy and everything and and obviously he he had didn't have a lot of time for lots of other things so we just sort of got on with everything we didn't really sort of have we had a social life and everything but we didn't really have me time as such or anything um, except when we were caravanning, that was probably it. It wasn't the priority uh, since the accident. I think what we do is a priority now because you really only ever get one chance at, at your life. You've got to take it and you've got to do the things that make you feel good, that make you shine, make you enjoy life, be happy. And I think we'd lost a lot of that beforehand. So I think whilst you never want to wish this on anybody, it, it was a challenge that was sent to us, I think, to change things. And um, and I think that's happening and still happening as we speak. Um, yeah, to get to do things that are important now, like the work is not the main issue anymore. And... Um, just being with people and socialising and being with ourselves um, in our own company is the importance 
thing now. So your priorities change as a result of this sort of accident. People have said it all before that your life changes. You, you really look at things differently and it's true. You just, you do, you look at things differently. You never, you take a lot of stuff for granted, I think. We all do. Months ago, either somebody told me or I realised, I can't remember where it came from, but it, the penny dropped that on the 1st of December, I stopped breathing. And now today, here I am talking to you. I'm a lucky man. That's the point. I feel like I'm a lucky man. Prior to the accident, uh, as we've already explained, yeah, we had a very busy life. It was all to do with business and lots of other things. After that, I've realised that my priorities had to change. And most of it had to do with Robin. Some of it to do with me and the things that I like and enjoy doing, such as caravanning, for example. But it was all about the things. I realised a lot of the things that I wasn't doing with Robin that I should be. And the reason I wasn't, one of the great reasons was because our commitment to all the things that we were doing in business and other things. And so the greatest development for me is that uh, is how important Robin is to me and therefore how important it is that what is the things that we do together, such as caravanning, our social life, sharing things. I, For example, even the reading. I share a lot of things with Robin, things that I learn out of the, the books that I, uh, that I read. Um, and most importantly is the future is made up of the things that we're going to do together whereas previously I would have the attitude well it's just a matter of what unfolds you know I've got this to do, I've got that to do, you've got this to do so on and so forth whatever unfolds so be it and we'll have some fun whereas these days I'm saying no no we've got to make sure that we do certain things yeah we've got to grow into it because there's changes for us in the things Things don't just happen immediately. Things happen gradually. And so the change happens gradually. So I've, I personally am monitoring things that I need to know in terms of how I interact with Rob and how I respond to certain things. I fail the, the examination in some areas, but I don't think I do in others. The important thing is that we're able to talk about it and acknowledge it and get on with it together. That's important to me. I think, yeah, one of, one of the big things out of this is a, a communication thing. People who go through this sort of thing have to be able to... You've got to communicate with each other. I think that's what helps you get through eventually. If you don't have the communication, um, then it makes it a whole lot harder. So communicating with one another helps you to get through because because then you can laugh about things and you can do stuff. And I, I, I personally feel as I'm more patient with things. Rob will say with some things I'm not as... I'm not... But I think compared to last year, as in before the accident, I think I am. And more importantly, I am prepared to be more patient with things, prepared to acknowledge things and and act on on them the way they should be acted on. Mm. It's really encouraging listening to you both to see how uh, you have both been able to pull through this really challenging time of your life and you're actually both stronger as a result of it and closer as Mm. well. Absolutely. Um, What would you want to tell other people who are going through a recovery uh, after an accident of some kind or a really difficult diagnosis? I would say, you know, take the support that's offered. Any support that's offered to you, whether it be friends, whether it be professional people, take it and it, it will help you get through. And just 
just take what's happened as being a challenge that you can, like a, a challenge that you would take on, like if you were going to go and learn something new. Take it on as a challenge that, you know, you can get through this. Um, you can get through it the same as you would if you were going for an exam for something. You can get through it. You might not get through it really well. You might get through it really well. It doesn't matter because you're there to get... You, you, you're there and you're alive and you can you can do it um, but definitely the support around you is you must take it don't say I can do this by myself I can do this because y you will have times that are really hard and it's hard to get through it without somebody so um, yeah, take it on board and 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 try try it's hard, easy to say you have a positive attitude towards it but it's sort of like somebody said to me, you need to get up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror and say, good morning, sunshine. And that's, that can change your whole attitude about something. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a good day. You can say, okay, today's going to be a great day. And it might not be. But you've started the day that way. And if you start the day that way, you can start the next day. So that's what I would say use the support try to look at it positively even though it can be very difficult try to look at it positively and treat it as a challenge each day that, that would be mine fantastic yep. what about you Brian? you've pretty much covered it I'd, I'd add to that uh, don't give up I've heard stories about people who have been in a similar situation to me and how they've coped with it or not I'd, I'd say strongly, don't give up. Not only with the medical care and, and the other care that's, that's been provided, but in yourself, within yourself. Um, stay positive. Because I now know it works. If you'd asked me all of these things prior to, uh, to the accident, I would have had probably different views on it. Um, even the role of people like TAC and, and their associated people, I would have had different thoughts about it. Having seen it all unfold now, uh, I can vouch for it. Um, the professionals that were, were around us, that was a very enlightening scenario for me because philosophically I would have thought, well, you know, they've got their uni degrees and they're, they're going through the motion. Way back in the early days, these people said to me, our job is to get you back into your life. And I was a little bit mm, apprehensive about that. But they were 100% correct. That's what they've done. And I've told them this and I value what they've done to the point that when it's all over, some of those people we're going to miss because they've been very valuable to us. They, the, their contribution has been super important and there's no doubt that when it's all over, where I'm at, they've, they've played a major role in. So don't give up. Have confidence in, in what's available to you. Hang on in there. It will, you will come good. Thank you so much for sharing your story, guys. And I just would like for you to paint the picture of, of briefly what your life looks like at the moment. You know, are you back at work, for example, Robin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm back at work and, yeah, just I'm getting back to doing things that... Um, gardening, doing gardening that I always like to do. I'm even growing tomatoes this summer, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that works out. <laughs> and what about you, Brian? What's your life looking at the moment? Uh, well, I'm not back at work full-time for, for all sorts of development reasons. Um, but I'm back, I'm back in my world in terms of who I should be talking to and who I should be interacting with. And, you know, a lot of people give me feedback that, that, that I'm back. And that's, that's really important to me. When I get feedback, particularly from people that I haven't seen for a while, 
So they knew me before the accident, and they've maybe seen me once or twice since, so they knew where I was at and what was going on. And then all these months later, they tell me where I'm at now. That's valuable. That's really important to me. So I'm back in my world, but look, I'll never be back the way I was. Not because there's anything retarding me from doing that or because of the injuries or anything like that, but because my priorities have changed. I'm going to do things differently. There's more involvement, for example, with people that are important to me in my life. What I ultimately do work-wise will change. And one of the words that I've been using in terms of what I want to include in it is, is just fun. Just have more fun. You're back on the road, you're driving your car. Back on the road, yep. driving the car. Without the knob, I'm driving like normally now, driving the, and towed the caravan last weekend or whatever weekend it was, two weeks ago. Yep. Um, so life is getting back to normal. So you you still have got a few months of rehab ahead, yep. but you're certainly on the way and have regained some control and some level of activity in your life as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you, Brian and Robin, uh, for being a part of this podcast. Mm. So along with Brian and Robin, I hope that you, the listeners, feel empowered to keep going yourself, uh, no matter how bad the situation is or how hopeless your prognosis is. Know that there is always a space to grow out of it, a reason to fight on and to find that strength that will keep you going and to never give up. I'm Shamila, this is Bouncing Back and thank you for listening.